Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. We got my good friend and business partner here, Paul Sparks. He's not only a very successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. And we do this show because a wise man once asked, if you look at the last three years of your business by months and turn all the negative months into zeros, what would happen to your bottom line? And that wise man was Dan Nicholson. So Paul and I are here to help you achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in your favor. Now, I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires, and the information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire. In the next five to seven years, if you'll take consistent action, you will become one. If you get value today, please share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. Now, as we go through these concepts, you might feel like you need to close some of these loops. I want to challenge you and keep these loops as open as possible. Be as receptive to some of the uh, topics that we talk about. The more you close the loops, the more likely you might miss some of the things that you know we feel uh, are important to discuss. And we're going to start with six-word updates. I'll go first, and then we'll have uh, Paul. So for me, for me, my six-word update, you know, it was my birthday, is older I get, dumber I was. <laughs> I like that. By the way, what a beautiful shirt you were wearing there, man. That oh, is some you. nice apparel. Yeah. I got this at, a, at an event in Denver. It was pretty cool. Sweet event. And Manny, by the way, uh, great job. You guys, uh, with that video you published, I showed Steve and I was like, I don't know, man, these guys <laughs> might've made a better video than you. <laughs> so great job with that video. But my six word update today is I love to wear our swag. We got great swag. I mean, I love that shirt. I got like Three of them I wear now. We got a few extras, and I got my hat here. So I don't know, man. I just love our swag. So that's, that's awesome. My six-word update. All right. And so today we're going to be talking about the frameworks for dealing with issues in your business. And some people right now might be dealing with some issues in their businesses. So yes. what are those frameworks for dealing with issues? For the record, we are, we are also dealing with uh, issues in our businesses. And so these are things that I use on a daily basis and uh, help me make better decisions. Again, we learned all this stuff uh, from Dan Nicholson in the Certainty Operating System. And we're here to sort of uh, distill some of that information to you guys today. And so Steve, you keep saying the, uh, I love that you mentioned this at the beginning of every show, to keep the loop open. That's a Nick phrase. And what that means is we want answers. Like we all just want answers. And, and it's this, um, this open loop that oftentimes causes anxiety as we're learning things. And the best way to learn this stuff is to stay open-minded, right? So when we say keep the loop open, it means we're going to continue bringing this information. It may not all make sense right now. If you stick around and hear this over the, you know, the entirety of our conversations, it'll start to connect. So um, you, uh, you teed us up. We're going to talk a little bit today about how I learned to deal with issues in my business directly from the certainty operating system. And so what I'd like to do, Steve, is talk about the four issue processors, fairly high level. And then in future uh, talks that we do here on these podcasts, we'll dive into each one of these further later on. But today, I want to give kind of a broad overview of what the four issue processors are, and then we can sort of just discuss them. Does that sound good? That sounds perfect. Cool. So the first of the four issue processors is a tool that we call the four lenses. Okay. 
So there's a lot of numbers and all these things. So you're going to have to keep all this straight, right? But let's talk about the four lenses for a second. I'm going to switch to my little handy dandy whiteboard here. It's not exactly written well. So let me rewrite this. And for those that are listening, don't worry, I got you. So we got the four lenses. And so we want to make decisions and ask ourselves, you know, we, we deal with questions in our business. Should I do this? What should we do? We're all dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm. So the lenses say, well, first, is it a cost savings? By doing this thing, are we going to save money? Or is it a revenue generator? Is this something that's going to bring us income, bring revenue into the business? Three is, is it a time savings? Obviously, that's pretty, pretty clear. Right. Number four is, is it a forcing function? So is, is by doing this thing going to force me to do something I needed to do anyways? Right. The thing that you've been putting off for some time. Exactly. Is it going to force me to do something anyways? So why don't we talk about maybe some decisions that you and I have had to make recently? Mm-hmm. And let's run them through the four lenses and first say like, we want to check at least three of these things, right? We, we, and, and really this is not necessarily a way to say, um, we want to evaluate all of our opportunities and say like, which one gives us the best score on the four lenses. Right. Um, so let's take for example, hiring an employee. Right. A lot of the people who are probably listening to this are a lot like you and I, you know, uh, I more so than you, I've got a newer business and we're constantly thinking about, should I grow? Like what part of the business should I grow? Should I hire an acquisitions person? Should I go more into dispositions? Right. Or do I need to hire an executive assistant? Like we ask these questions all the time. Yep. So let's consider it through the four lenses. So the first question is, and let's take, let's say we, you know, we know that Dispo is hot right now. Right. right? Selling properties market, right now is a, is a need. Yes. You know, uh, our buyers, our, our sh- uh, buyer list is not quite as active as it was mm-hmm. three to six months ago. Right. So let's say we're considering adding a dispositions person to our business. Well, first, is that a cost savings? It's not a cost savings if we're hiring. Nope, it's not. No. Is it a revenue generator? If they do what they're supposed to do, absolutely is a revenue generating uh, role. It certainly should be a revenue generator, right? That's the only reason we would consider hiring them. So we got, you know, it's not really a cost savings. It is a revenue generator. Is it a time savings? Does it save time? Um, Yeah, I mean, if they build a buyer's list, it takes less time to sell the property. 100%. If they build a quality buyer's list, yeah, you're going to save a lot of time and in this positioning, days on market, and time under contract, we can reduce reduce those uh, those measures. Right, hundred percent agree. Is it a forcing function for something you were we were going to have to do anyways? We're going to have to sell the property anyway. Bingo. Right. So, in in this scenario, that checks three of the four boxes. Mm-hmm. We want something that it checks at least three of the four boxes. Now. Let's take um, let's take another example. Let's say right now and where we are in the market, we say, hey, should I, um, let's think of a good example here. Should I pay for this 
uh, information for new strategies, right? Mm -hmm. Like, should I learn creative finance? Should I learn novation? Should I learn insert whatever it is? Right. Right. You can run it through the same framework and say, does it save me cost? Well, you could make that argument in a lot of cases because you're already spending money on these leads that you're not monetizing. Right. You could argue it's a revenue generator. You could argue it's a time savings. You know, you could argue it could be a forcing function. So this is the first issue processor that we want to run through. Not just necessarily saying like, does it check the boxes? But when we, when we compare it to all the other opportunities that we have in front of us, so should I do this or should I do this? We want to give like numerical values to these things. How much cost does it save us? Well, let's look at this. I mean, we can get really meta with this, right? Like you and I, I mean, in talking about starting the show, what was the conversation? You said, Steve, I need you to learn these principles faster. <laughs> like it was, our, exactly. we have our weekly conversations on Sundays. Like, Steve, I need you to learn this faster. I was like, well, um, and my initial retort is like, well, why don't we just record it? So let's start a show. So what does it do? Uh, it does not save us any money, All right? Doing the show does not save us any money. Does it potentially bring in revenue? You can make that argument, not necessarily, but you can make that argument. It could potentially bring in revenue. Does it save us time? Well, it doesn't necessarily save us time, but we're going to use this time anyway. Is well, it I would say it saves us time because we're getting, we're getting, um, uh, two birds, kind of thing, right. right? Like instead of us, we meet on Sundays, you and I, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk business and talk about whale club stuff. And it's like, well, if we, if we didn't do this here, we would have to do it somewhere else. Right. So it's a forcing function for that. Okay. But in my mind, it's also saving us time because we're getting the opportunity to make other people aware of what we're doing. Yeah. Right. So there's all sorts of value in that. And then let me, um, uh, let me also be really selfish here, you know, do a, a self-promoting plug here. Right, because we just talked about Dispo. You talk about like investor lift. Is investor lift going to save you money? No. Could it bring you money? Absolutely. If you can get more buyers, uh, can it save you time? Yeah, they already have the buyers with their data, with their data, and it's already skip traced. Is it a forcing function? Yeah, you had to do it anyway. And then I really like how this ties back exactly to last week's call timer, right? Time. Money. So there's the first two is uh, does it cost us money? Are we going to make more money? The third one is is going to save us time. And forcing function is just another way to look at is this going to save us energy or can we reduce the energy required because we're already doing it anyway. Sure. So I love how. Well, that you know, together. a lot of times it's it, it comes down to you know we're talking about doing new growth things, right? For example, it could be, um, like. Let's let's I'm going to give a real example right here. We are using left main great CRM way more than what we need in our business. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be a part of that innovation and I'm like, this is so cool. Salesforce. It's amazing. But that product does way more than we need it to on my small team. Okay. So how do I deal with that? Do I make a switch or do I stay with what I have? Mm -hmm. All right. That's an issue. So by switching, can I save cost? Absolutely. There's cheaper CRMs out there. Is by doing that switch going to grow my revenue? Not really. Yeah. Like I'm not going to get any more out of a, a lesser system. 
right. than by just staying with what I have. Is it going to save me time? Absolutely not. It's going to take up a lot of my time to make that switch. And then when we get it set up, like Salesforce is already working for us. It's overkill, but it's already working for us. Right. And is it like, is it going to force me to do something that I needed to do anyways? Not at all. Nope. Not at all. So it fails the four lenses, right? We're using all these examples that like pass the four lens, but but you can oftentimes just eliminate things and say like, yeah, I might be using a system that's slightly more money than what I need and it's overkill for what I need. But by by actually changing that, I'm creating a whole lot more work for myself. Mm-hmm. And so that would be an example of how I would run that through the four lenses and say, you know what? I don't think it makes sense to switch. We're just going to stay with it. All right. Even if it's overkill, even if it's a little bit more premium pricing, it doesn't fit, doesn't pass the test. And, and I think another thing too, you know, you go back to uh, the 10X rule, right? Grant Cardone. Just remember like <laughs> how much energy you think is going to take. It's going to take a lot more. For sure. So take that into consideration when you're going through this as well. So, so that was the first of the four issue processors. We call that the four lenses. Mm-hmm. So when you're making decisions, run it through those four lenses. Is it going to save me time? Is it going to co- save me costs? Is it going to generate revenue or is it going to be a forcing function for something I need to do anyways? The yeah. forcing function I think is like, of like taxes, you know, it's like, I'm, I have to do that anyways. I'm doing my taxes right now <laughs> from 2021. So it's like, well, I have to do it anyways. Yeah. So what can I do by, you know, by meeting with my attorneys? What can I accomplish in that meeting in addition to the tax? I have to do it anyways. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, other examples of talk about forcing functions, right? So because I listened to Dan Nicholson talk about this uh, on a call recently, and he talks about like when you hire Dan, like part of that is you get a bookkeeper, right? Right. And like, you know how most business owners are, like bookkeeping is like the last thing they want to look at. So if you hire an accountant, it solves the other issue of the forcing function is you need to get your books done anyway. So you might as well have an accountant doing it. Um, so you got that. Uh, you look at a lot of SOPs, you know, uh, one of the most frustrating things uh, also, again, as a business owner is like, we hate creating processes. We hate creating procedures. It's just like, just, I'd rather not, I'd rather make less money than have to <laughs> create processes and procedures. Right. Um, but as a forcing function, you know, uh, we started using Tango and by using Tango, just having it on, well, now when we're working, it automatically creates procedures for us. So as a forcing function, just by doing your job, just turning on Tango, it automatically records our screen and it creates a procedure for us. So we're doing it yeah. anyway, and now we're saving time. Right. Yep, that's great. So, so look for these ways to sort of like quickly filter your decisions and say, well, if it doesn't at least get me three of those four things, is it really worth my time right now? Mm-hmm. And that leads us to the second issue processor which is never water the weeds. I got to get a new marker. This one's getting, this one's getting low. Um, so we never want to water the weeds, which means, well, what does that mean to you? I mean, for me, it's just having a neglected front yard with the sprinklers on with the weeds not pulled. That's, that's the picture in my mind. Yeah. Like you're watering this garden or this, you know, your yard, but you got all these weeds in mm-hmm. it that are sucking up all that, re- all those resources, and they're taking from the things that you actually want to grow. Yeah. Right. So if you're, you know, imagine I have this vision of like you've got this beautiful garden with all these flowers and plants and vegetables and things, but it's covered in weeds everywhere. Right. Well, what's going to happen to those weeds are going to overtake that garden if you keep watering it. Right. Right. 
and when you water it, it goes, you know, across all of these different things. So your resources are just being completely sucked dry by these weeds. And so we have to look at our business and say, first of all, how can we pull the weeds from our business? But then let's make sure we're not giving water to these weeds, like resources allocating to something that's, that's a hole in our bucket is another way that we say that. Right. Yeah. Like, so with we that being buckets, said, and it's like one of those things that, uh, I mean, I heard Nick talk about this just the other day was that one of the assumptions that we make, which is completely false is that we have unlimited resources. Right. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. No, dude, that's, that's a great point. Like we think that we have unlimited resources, but like, that's just delusional. We don't. Well, it's totally naive and stupid, but for whatever reason, that's how we operate. Yeah. You know, so, so weeds, in your business, I got a, I, I got another phrase that I like to use here, which is called like convenience assets. So um, let's take an example that might hit home for us as business owners, right? Well, how many times in your career, and, and I'm you know still fairly new at this, so it's happened to me. Um, I, I try to not let it happen as often anymore, but how many times have you maintained an employee at your job because it's like, ah, eh, it's just easier to keep them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to go through the process of pulling that weed and like dealing with all that and then finding someone else and all these things. Have you right. ever dealt with that? Uh, I feel like you're looking into my soul at the moment. Um, so yes, countless times, countless times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so all of the energy and effort that, and we think like it's innocuous, right? We don't think that we're doing anything bad. No big deal. But what it's, we're doing, it's okay. No big deal. Yeah. Well, let me give another example. How about those rental, that rental property? I know you don't own a ton of rentals anymore. Um, and I don't really own a ton of rentals either, but this one just makes a lot of sense to me. How many real estate investors out there have, you know, let's, let's take the 80, 20 rule. You've got 10 properties, two of them are your best performing and they're making 80% of the revenue. The bottom 80%, you know, and, and even let's just take the bottom 20% are sucking up all your time and your energy. You're constantly going over there to fix things. You know, you're constantly dealing with that, allocating resources to this asset, and you're only maintaining it because you named the puppy on it, right? Oh, We've yeah. talked about that in previous calls. Um, well, we have this property right now that I'm selling, right? It's actively under contract right now. We're in our due diligence period. It's one of the rentals we bought in Oklahoma when we when we expanded our wholesaling and flipping company uh, to Oklahoma City. So we bought this property. It's like, you know, I need to reduce my taxes. I need to do the depreciation. I need to do the birthing, right? Trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so I I expand to another market and I spend, take more risk, right? Grow our business more than it probably should have been grown. And we acquire this property because, again, I need to reduce my taxes. And, man, what an absolute nightmare of a property. And so uh, I got a chance to listen to Marcus Kruger speak uh, at one of the CG events. And he's like, you probably have some rental properties right now that you're better off selling than keeping uh, to prepare yourself for this upcoming uh, storm. It may not come. The storm may not come. But to prepare for this potential storm. And I was like, well, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Talk to my team. Throw that puppy on the MLS and let's get that thing sold. I have no desire to keep this nightmare property anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the, in the stock world, we call this a stop loss. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, 
So at what point are we going to be like, we made a bad decision. Let's not keep making it worse. Right. You know, because that's what, that's really what the result is of, of watering the weeds. We didn't intend them to be weeds. We intended them to be fantastic employees and fantastic fix and flips and amazing rental properties that we're going to keep forever. But guess what? Reality sets in and things happen. And all of a sudden, you know, that particular asset that you're, it's now a convenience asset. You're just maintaining it because it's easier to just deal with and get rid of, Mm -hmm. but it's sucking up all these resources and it's keeping you from allocating those resources timer again, right. To the things that actually help you get closer to what you want. Well, and you know, I'm not trying to make this all about me here, but this is another place where this also applies. You know, um, when I started my brokerage in 2013, the idea was I was gonna have a tiny brokerage and I was not going to have a boss or a broker. So I was gonna do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, without restrictions. Right. I'm going to save money. I don't have to place, I don't, I don't have to pay splits and then everyone could just leave me alone. Right. And that was like the vision. And I completely got distracted because I had all these other realtors like, Hey, I want to join your brokerage. Like, okay, we well, want to join my brokerage. All right, let's do that. And then let's get additional resources. Let's get some software. Let's get some administrative people. And then all of a sudden I have this brokerage that is not as, uh, not revenue producing, but it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, uh, occupies some brain space unnecessarily. And over time I was like, wait a minute, this is not the reason why I opened the brokerage, but more than half my time is spent supporting the brokerage, even though it was making, bringing a lot less revenue than just being a successful realtor. Mm-hmm. So I was that's definitely just watering the definition that weed. of, go ahead, sorry. No, I was saying I was definitely watering that weed. <laughs> I mean, we do this on small scales. We do this on a big, on big scales, you know, entire businesses that we still keep just because it was like, well, I don't want to necessarily disappoint all these people. I don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, on and on and on. So I actually got a question for those that are listening. I can see we got a few people listening here. We want to hear case in points from you guys, right? So what we're, you know, the, the style of this show is we're going to share some things, you know, how we're dealing with stuff. And Steve and I are sitting here talking about, where we've gotten kicked in the shin, you know, for the last like how many years? A little higher up. Right. If you're comfortable, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us, you know, how how you are watering the weeds in your business, right? So just drop a comment in there. Let us know how you might be watering the weeds. All right. So that's a really good one. And, you know, I just, it all ties in like, for example, with the investor frame Mm -hmm. and naming the puppy and things like this. So it's like, well, knowing what I know now, would I still continue to, to allocate resources to this? Do I still want to water this plant that's starting to look a little bit like a weed? Yeah. And I reserve the right to change my mind. That's a big one. As Dan says. All right. Number three, we want to optimize before we maximize because you've been saying this now several times in this uh, call, which is resources are scarce. We do not have unlimited resources. And so what we tend to do as business owners is try to maximize for everything. Mm -hmm. We're going to be good at sales and acquisitions, and we're going to also be really good at dispositions, and we're going to also be really good at all these things, and we're going to get good at them all at the same time. Of course. Why not? Right? (laughs) And we're trying to maximize for everything. 
but we we don't have the resources for that. And that's also not how math works, <laughs> right? <laughs> we we as business owners, as small business owners, guaranteed anybody in, that's listening to this call right now, unless you're a Fortune 500 company, you need to be thinking about how to optimize for the most important thing. The analogy I always give on this is like, if you try to catch five rabbits, you'll end up catching none. Like you can't catch five at a time. You got to catch one rabbit and then you got to go catch the next rabbit. And then you got to catch the next rabbit. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, this goes back to all of us for whatever reason, entrepreneurs, we, we want to scale, 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 scale. And so what do I want to do? A, I want to be multiple markets, dominating multiple markets, right? Even though we're not dominating our own market, we want to dominate multiple markets. Right. Or maybe we want to dominate multiple businesses if we're before we dominate one business. I actually had a good conversation with somebody and they're asking me, it was a personal conversation, and they're like, how the heck does Ryan Pineda have multiple seven-figure companies and he has work-life balance? And my answer to them was, well, because he had one seven-figure business where he had work-life balance. And after that, he was able to get the second, third, and fourth. Right? And that goes back to your point of optimize where you maximize. Like, if he went off to do all of these things all at once, he probably would not have work-life balance. Right. I got a great case in point. Yeah. And this was, this is like in the field stuff here. Like, this actually happened where we made the mistake trying to maximize we caught ourselves because of the certainty operating system when we were able to adjust to start optimizing. So, um, you know, and probably most of the people that are listening to this know we're working on a white paper right now. Mm-hmm. For those who aren't familiar with that term, white paper is essentially I a I know where this is going. Paper. I love this. I love where this is going. Okay. You know this one. So a white paper is essentially a research paper. And what we want to do as the whale club is we want to publish a document that can inform Uh, We're going to call it the applications of blockchain in real estate. So we want to, we intend this document to be an authoritative document to educate the real estate space on what is coming to that world uh, in terms of blockchain, right? So for example, applications like real estate tokenization, we've talked about that, Uh, title and ownership transfer, smart contracts, data and property management. I mean, there's There are so many applications. We identified more than a dozen. And then we said, okay, we're going to focus on these. I think it was like six or seven. And so what did we do? The classic human mindset stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Which is let's try to do all of these things all at once. So what we did is we brought a bunch of people together and we split up. And it was like, you're going to work on this. You're going to work on this. You're going to work on this. Got any guesses? I know you know the answer to this. But what happened after about a month? frustration everybody was like uh i don't know what to do right so what we quickly realize is like ah we are trying to maximize and get all of these things done at once but we don't even know what the format this needs to be presented in we don't have any feedback from the market we don't know if people are even going to read this Mm -hmm. so we're talking about creating six like applications in-depth research on all these things but we don't even have feedback that one of them is relevant. Yeah. So what we did is we said, hold on, let's stop what we're doing. Let's pick the most important application. And we're going to put all resources to getting that one done. If that goes well, 
then we will move on to the next application and take that one. Right. So it's this like subtle shift in the way that we approach things because we don't have unlimited resources. We need to optimize for the most important thing because if we don't get the most important thing, then I don't even know why it makes sense to allocate resources to all these other things. Right. And the other way, you know, listening, they talk about it is the more likely or the more ambitious, not more ambitious, but like the more concrete your plan, the less likely it's going to work. So sure. you want to create certainty, you need to be willing to have less certainty in the process. So instead of trying to have six white papers done and then evaluate, let's have one white paper done and yeah. evaluate. Yeah. Let's get the first thing out, get some, you know, we talk, I don't know if this, I talk about this stuff all day, every day. So I can't remember exactly what we've talked about on this show, mm -hmm. but like anytime we do something new, because we've never written a white paper before, we've never done anything like this. Right. What do we, what do we need? We need a uh, whoa, preponderance of data. That word is kind of tough to say, but it's my, one of my new favorite words. We require a preponderance of data, which means we need three data points. We don't even have one. Nope. So what do we do with an absence of preponderance of data? We take a micro step. So what we were doing is we were taking a pretty big macro giant step. Yep. Our micro step is let's just do one. We jumped into the shallow part of the lake head first. Yeah. But I mean, maybe people that are listening to this are like, that's obvious. I get that. Cool. Okay. Go back and look at your behaviors and tell me that you're not violating that mm -hmm. or any of these issue processors and areas of your business. Because just because it's obvious doesn't mean our behaviors line up with the things that we say we're going to do. Well, I mean, you look back at like every business book, not every business book, but you look at, you know, books, business books that are related to like uh, optimization or talking about priorities or not about efficiencies. Right. And it's a consistent theme. Like you should never have more than three priorities, right? You should have between one and three priorities. Always. You should know this. Right. And then what do we do? We have a meeting and we've got like six objectives. Why? We know it should be one to three. We can't focus on more than three things. Realistically, uh, priority is based off the word one, I believe. Right. Right. But we always have three or five or six and then nothing gets done well. And we get back and we're upset with our team or we're upset with ourselves or we're not hitting goals. And the reality is we were cheating ourselves because we, w we didn't dedicate all our resources to completing one, two, or at most three things. Sure. Well, and this is, so why do people do that? Why do we do that? Because we're hardwired that way, right? We are not hardwired to optimize. We're hardwired to maximize. Why is that? And so, um, because back in the jungle, we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Got it. Right. This is like this is like system one brain, as Daniel Kahneman calls it. Uh, Dr. Jeff calls it uh, the human mindset. You know, this is the this is the amygdala. This is like the fight or flight stuff. Mm -hmm. Like this is the hunter gatherer brain. Like if I don't collect all these this food right now, I, I don't know when my next meal will come. So I'm going to maximize for everything yep. that does not serve us in business. No, it does not. No, we're like a. A dog, right? Was it like if you try to go on vacation and you leave out all the dog food? 
you're gonna he's get just gonna eat it all. <laughs> you're gonna eat it all, right? You're gonna get your dog sick. That's such a good example. Yeah, I mean that's 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 our behavior, and unfortunately, we're no much we're no more smarter than our dogs uh, when it comes to uh, make sure you, you you refine and focus in your appetite. That's a funny one. I'm gonna use that one again. We're like little we're like dogs, and you put food out, and you just can't help yourself. You just eat it all. It's like. Well, that's what we do in business. We just try to take all of it down all at once because we're hardwired that way. So yeah. You have to recognize that this is um, when you feel yourself maximizing for things, it's because you're, you're allowing your biology to take over. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I love that one because I, I constantly find myself violating it. And if I didn't have it, I would be lost, honestly, at this point. I would say, like, as we're talking about, you say you love it. I was like, I don't know why you love it because that's the one I'm violating the most. Yeah, well, it's it's a, it's like a it's it's the one that helps me recognize the shin kicks before they happen. Yeah, you know, because you again, you just try to do too many things. You try to catch all these things. You're you're the likelihood you get any of them goes way down. Right. Yeah. So Dan has this really cool spreadsheet. He showed us about that where like. I don't even, I don't want to get into the specific example, but, um, yeah, it's really, uh, it's just such a great tool. So optimize before we maximize anything you want to say more. No, I think that's good. I think we've okay. optimized it tongue in cheek. Cool. <laughs> All right. The next one is we want to bias T learning versus I learning. You ever heard this one? You heard me talk about this one. I have not heard this one. Okay. So let's do this. Let's draw the thing. So that's too high. All right. So you've got T learning in the horizontal and you've got I learning. So I learning is like domain specific. Mm -hmm. So we're in real estate. Anything that we learn specifically about real estate is in the I. T learning is like across domains. So this would be domain specific. This would be across domains. It's kind of like uh, breath versus depth. Correct. Yep. That's a good way of saying it. So we look, I don't know if you can read any of this, but we look at natural law. And we look across domains in the T versus the I. So what does that mean to bias T learning over I learning? It means that nothing is new. Most problems have already been solved just in a different context and a different domain. So let's take an example. Let's say that I want to create the best employee retention program in the real estate space, right? Hiring, onboarding, maintaining employee satisfaction. And so I, if I'm using iLearning, I might go out and, and find other people in the real estate business and say, who's got the best onboarding program? I'll just plug Ren here right now, just real quick. Let's talk about Ren. I know you're doing some business with him. He's he's a he's a he's been a role model for me for for he doesn't know this, but he has yeah. for the last couple of years. I'm right. Sure, he's made a massive impact on a lot of people's lives. I learning might be looking at how Ren does it, mm-hmm. 
PayPal, you know, insert any of the major operators around the country, right? I'm, right. I, I don't want to try to guess all these names. The point is, is like, that's I-learning. Mm-hmm. And T-learning might be like, how does the airline business, we know, you know, Southwest, right? Everybody's familiar with Southwest. Southwest notoriously has one of the best employee retention and onboarding programs out there. Right. And so what that does is it forces you to look across domains and to say like, what other industries have solved this problem and how have they solved it? What can we learn from that? to apply to our I situation. Um, and so, yeah, let me just get some thoughts on that. T learning versus I learning. It's not like saying I learning is bad, mm-hmm. but we want to bias looking across domains when we don't, the answer is not perfectly clear. Well, it's an issue that we're not exactly sure how to deal with. How do we look across other industries? You know, I think, for example, what's going on in the United States right now. You want to learn what's happening in the United States, you might look at history and study Roman history. Mm-hmm. You might study Egyptian history, some of these like famous empires and what happened. You know, this whole Ray Dalio's book, The Changing World Order. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Like that's what he's doing. He's looking back at other civilizations, other domains and situations where they've dealt with the same problem. Um and that can give us information on how to deal with our current problem in our current domain. That feels like I learning. That doesn't feel like T learning. Right? To look at- back across across history. Uh, you might say I learning when that case would be like, how has the American government dealt with this in the past? Yeah. And the okay. T would be like, how have other empires and industries dealt with I guess learning then might be example might be like, how is Canada dealing with this right now? How is Mexico dealing with this right now? And you're saying T learning is how have other countries dealt with this in the past? So the broad, the the domain would be a different era. Sure. So, okay. Yeah, because I'm looking so at this, this. In my mind, it's just a way to, so so for example, I was in the CCA. Mm-hmm. And this is the Certainty Certified Advisor Program. This is what Dan taught to us over 22 plus weeks. And this is where we're getting all this certainty operating system stuff from. Well, one of the best parts of the CCA is there were accountants, there were real estate investors, there were medical, you know, people in the medical world, health and fitness, you know, email mart, whatever, marketing people, all sorts of different people, different industries. And we got to hear how they've dealt with different challenges in their business, how yeah. they've dealt with issues and things like this. And so I didn't go into that CCA program thinking I was going to learn about real estate investing. Mm-hmm. But that was the natural result of me learning about how all these other people have dealt with the same problems that I'm dealing with in my business. I'm just seeing it from a different context. I'm seeing it in a different light. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great argument, right? For like, um, you know, maybe you're in a real estate mastermind and you are in a business mastermind, right? Or maybe you're in a performance mastermind. Like you don't, don't join three different uh, real estate masterminds. That's not going to help you. That might even just insert more noise, Uh, but insert, you know, or join um, a mastermind full of other business owners that are, generating a certain amount of revenue. I think um, uh, my, my best friend, my accountability partner, uh, he's in YPO, right? And these are all people that are have several multi seven figure businesses and they all have different struggles, but they're all, part, uh, they're all a part of different industries. They're all CEOs or business owners, 
but they're all in different industries. So whatever mm-hmm. struggles they're dealing with, this is how they handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. Um, I read a book a few months ago called range, uh, David Epstein, I think is who wrote that. Um, and range describes how I think the believe the subtitle is like how generalists triumph in a specialized world, right? So <clears throat> we go to college to become engineers, right? Yep. You're not an engineer. I'm not an engineer. So I, I learned all these using engineering principles. Bingo. T learning. Yeah. Right. You're, you're drawing on previous experiences mm-hmm. and across different domains right. and applying it to real estate. I'm fortunate to have had such a diverse experience with like the medical industry, the automotive industry, the logistics industry, the airline industry, crypto, real estate, right? So, you know, I would consider myself a generalist. I know a lot of things, you know, so it's like the jack of all trades is a master of none, but you don't know the end of that, of that statement, but still better than a master of one, mm-hmm. right? So the point is, is if we can bias this broad knowledge across domains and when we're dealing with issues, pick our head up and let's say like nothing's really new. These, this problem I'm dealing with is likely been solved in some other capacity, some other domain. How can I kind of take a step back and look across instead of always looking down, how do real estate investors solve this problem? It's yeah. like, how do other business owners solve this same problem? Well, you remember when the IMAX came out in all those different colors? I think they were IMAX, whatever the heck they were called, right? Uh, those Apple computers that came in all those different compu- uh, colors. And the all the engineers at Apple could now figure out how to do this. Like, this can't be done. And they asked the head of engineering, and they're like, why can't you guys do this? And the guy said, it is physically impossible. And so the CTO or CEO or one of these guys like, okay, well, that can't be the answer. And so he looked around. He's like, how do these candy companies have the color be a solid color all the way through but still transparent? So he went to the candy factory, and he took that technology and applied it to Apple. The other one is we had the, uh, the great honor of having Jeff Hoffman, uh, the guy that founded Priceline, uh, present a collective genius for a second time. And, you know, it's funny. He gets these ideas from these other companies. You know, he just uh, he, he spends 15 minutes a day just thinking about things that have nothing to do with his business, right? And so he got a chance to go to the, the Corning Glass Company, which is like, who cares about the Corning Glass Company? They made like Pyrex, whatever, like such an irrelevant thing, you know? And he went to their company. He's like, oh my God, the innovation that these people are working on is so outrageous. But we just think of them as just this basic glass company. Right. Man, that's so good. Um, the best leaders in technology have T-learning as their base understanding, right? Yeah. Why has Nick been so successful jumping from business to business to business, industry to industry to industry? I don't know, but I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> well, it's because he's applying the same principles across yeah. industries. Like the same problem we deal with in real estate on how to hire and maintain people and sell and, you know, Whatever those little, like those specific things, like the, the eye that you need at most businesses have those same things. Right. Right. All businesses. It's just slightly different. All businesses. That's All it. All businesses. Right. I mean, we kind of talk about this, like 
Every business starts off as a sales and marketing business. And after that, it evolves into a people and money business. Right. That's, that's the evolution of every single business. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've so all solved that. We, they've all solved this problem in their own way. Exactly. So, so how do we practically use that? Um, when you're dealing with a, with a new challenge, right? An issue in your business, because this is all about how to deal with issues in your business. We need to, fir- we need to first take a second and say, like, give ourselves the understanding, like, n- none of this is new. What I'm dealing with in business right now has been solved likely before by someone else. Now, you can look in the eye, but I would suggest first looking across the T. How has this been solved previously by anybody? Then we can look in the eye and apply it there, right? But if we only look in the eye, we're limiting that broad viewpoint to be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm uh, Apple and I want to create like these colored computers. But that's impossible. It's like, yeah, but this candy manufacturer figured out how to do it. Right. Why can't we apply the same things here? I guess we can imagine that. So, so let me make an argument here for and against my sales training. Right. Uh, so when I was struggling in sales, I found a sales trainer who taught general sales. And because he taught general sales, I was able to learn it in a broad range and able to take this part works for real estate. This part works for real estate. That part has nothing to do with me. Right. We talked about trying to sell to like the CEO, CTO, CFO, like stuff that you had to do in the past. We don't have to do with that in real estate. So I just took that part of the sales process and just deleted that part entirely, right? But I was able to create a sales training system based off of learning general sales. And so if someone wants to learn how to do it in real estate specifically, they can learn it from me. But if they want to learn sales in general, there's somebody else, right? But I would say that's an argument for and against. For going to general is you have unadulterated, you have what is a general sales philosophy. I specific, if you want someone that's done it in real estate and got it figured out specifically for buying houses. Yeah. Listen, you don't, none of this is saying that like going in the eye is bad. Mm -hmm. So I probably watched every single video that you put before we even met each other, probably watched every video you put out on, on YouTube about real estate sales specifically. You know, I came from the world of B2B. So I, I didn't know anything about that, mm-hmm. but my experience was able to be like, Oh, I recognize that I've done that in the past and just in a different domain. Right. And part of that is how we came to know each other. Cause I'm like, Oh, I can see how he's applying the same things that have worked for me in other domains in this domain specific here. Right. Right. So, you know, if you're let's let's that's a great example. Like, okay, I want to I I need I have an issue with my sales. My team's not converting. Mm-hmm. Right? We got the leads, we got the appointments, but by god, we can't get the freaking contracts. Right. So like what what you might do is you might say how has anybody solve this problem? Mm -hmm. What does the airline industry do? What did they, you know, how did they sell door to door with, you know, Cutco knives, right? That's interesting. And you can look at all of these different things and and start finding common threads. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't benefit from real estate specific sales training. All it's saying is like, before you do that, 
let's look and try to find across the natural law, across different domains, what can we find similarities in? How have other people solved this in the past? Right? And then we relate that back to our specific eye. Yeah. And I mean, going back to, you know, how we do this in the whale club, right? Like we're talking about, I can't, I'm going to butcher this, right? Innovate where, where we differentiate. I believe there's something along those lines, right? Like the reason why we're tokenizing Pete's fund is because crowdsourcing already exists. Crowdfunding already exists. We're just crowdfunding on the blockchain, right? Oh, man. Uh, Jeff, right? Carfax already exists, right? It's not like no one watching this video should be unfamiliar with Carfax. You wouldn't buy a used car without a Carfax report, right? Right. Just making Carfax for properties on the blockchain. So cool. Let's, let's, give, let's give the Microsoft Excel Google Sheets example, and then we can recap, and then we'll jump off. But... Um, such a great example. All right. If you're listening to this, what is the difference between Google, uh, sorry, Microsoft Excel and Google Sheets? The interface is nearly identical. The, um, <laughs> my Alexa, my Google Meet over there just went off. I think it heard me say that. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> they're almost identical in the, uh, interface and even the like the logos are almost identical there's just one difference and you know the difference what is it internet cloud yeah one's on the internet yeah they took the exact same product copied it with one small difference because we don't need to innovate unless we differentiate there was no need to innovate on the format like microsoft excel already crushed that yeah, they figured out spreadsheets. They figured it out. The only difference is like, hey, those spreadsheets that you're using, instead of having to download the file and send it to somebody and you make changes and download it and send it back to me and like, we never, you always have to relabel it. Like this is version two, version five, version 26. It's like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you just do it on the internet. Yeah. So what we're doing, like you said, is we looked across and we said, well, who's already doing this? They're literally doing this with crowdfunding. Crowdfunding already exists. Right. How can we take what already has worked and already exists and apply it to our eye? So we what? talk about tokenization and it's like, well, it's Fundrise or these any of these crowdfunding models you're familiar with with one small difference. It's on the blockchain. Can you think of a specific example as far as your business where you went, you bias towards the T versus the I on T learning? Sales. This is like, this is what I know, right? Mm -hmm. I came from sales. And so I have a sales framework that I want to show you at a certain point that I teach to my team. It's like, here's, here's some steps. I got a whole toolbox and different mm -hmm. things. This is a combination of things I've learned from you. I've learned from Chris Foss. I've learned from previous managers that I've had. I've learned from Sandler. You know, I've learned from getting my teeth kicked in for the last 12 years in sales. Like this is my experience across all these different industries. And I've taken those things, put them together, and and we're just applying them specifically to this industry now. Right. That's that's how, that's my that's my most obvious example. What about recently? Like, because you recently learned the T learning versus I learning. So since you've learned this, there's another example that you might have done this. Hmm. Let's see. Um, you know, I'm thinking of the case and points and the six word updates. Yeah. Like I never used that specifically in real estate. I observed it being used in the CCA 
and across all these business owners doing it and the power that they had uh, with their teams executing on it. So I brought that back into my business. It doesn't always need to be this like massive revelation. In my mind, it's like, well, what are the key things you need in your business to function at a high level? When you run into issues, first ask, how have other people solved this in the past? Yeah. Right. It, it doesn't mean you can't look in the eye and look across and say like, well, you know, down and say, well, who else has solved this in real estate? Um, but that's a good question. I'll journal on that this week. I'll try to come up with some different examples of, you know, maybe where I have applied T learning versus I learning. Um, I can say for me specifically, I, and, I, and this is a new apply. concept for me, but I can say, I can speak of a recent application or the last couple of years is really just the financial parts, right? Like I'm not asking other flippers or other wholesalers for their spreadsheets for finances. I'm not asking for their QuickBooks. I'm not looking for their chart of accounts, right? I could, I could call up Eric Brewer. I was like, Hey, you know, can you sh download your chart of accounts and QuickBooks for me? It wouldn't make any sense, right? What works best is to find a, um, a, a general, generally accepted practice, right? And that gap principles, but generally accepted practices and uh, balance sheets and P and L's and figure out like, what's a reasonable amount for marketing? What's a reasonable amount for uh, overhead? Right. And looking at those to now project what um, what our cash balances are going to be 30 days from today, 90 days from today. There's not a lot of people solving that in the I world, in the I learning sure. world. But there are a lot of businesses across all other domains that take have to, that have to take finances very seriously. Well, and you can look and be like, do, you, do we really think that the real estate world has the best solution for managing finances? Probably not. No. Right. So no, you, uh, again, that's why we, we just bias, like looking at, well, who has the best and how can we do some research into that first? Yeah. We are more of a fire and then maybe aim <laughs> industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Cool. I mean, that, that, I think that covers it. We'll, um, we sort of brushed over you know, we talked about these in 10 minutes in the whale club. We go in depth into these things. We're going to try to probably do that. Uh, at some point in the future, we'll go through, uh, you know, these different, uh, issue processors. Let me recap for everybody real quick. So we've got the four lenses. Is it a cost savings? Is it a time savings? Is it a revenue generator or is it a forcing function? We want to bias things that have more. I don't do anything if I can't check three of those boxes off. If I can't check three off, it doesn't make much sense. You might be watering the weeds, which is the second one, which is that resources and are scarce. We do not have unlimited resources. We cannot continue watering things that are going to get us further away from what we want, which is this beautiful garden. We have to be attentive to the investor frame. Does this still make sense knowing what I know now? Did I name the puppy here? Right. If so, we need to pull those weeds and not allocate resources to them. Number three, we need to optimize before we maximize. It's another way of saying resources are scarce. We can't chase, you can't catch five rabbits at once. You run the risk of catching zero. Right. We want to catch the most important thing. Optimize for that. Let's make sure we lock that in. Because oftentimes the other things that we say we want turn out that once we get the most important thing, they're not even relevant anymore. Yeah. Right. So we've got to optimize for that most important thing. Let's lock that in. Then let's go take the next thing. And then finally, 
when we're dealing with issues that we're not quite sure the best answer, oftentimes it looks, it helps to look across domains. How has this been solved in other industries, in other markets potentially, not just looking in your specific eye, right? Pick your head up, look across natural law and look across domains to try to get an understanding of like, who has done this really well in the past? What can I learn from that? that I can apply in my current situation because nothing is new. So that's my summary. That's perfect. I, I think that's it. That's uh, I think a solid episode. We'll wrap up there and we'll see you guys all next week. If you guys are getting value, please be sure to let everyone know. See you guys later.